You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of a career that soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples' continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to them and their cultures and to elders both past and present. All right, Michelle, welcome to 2022 and season four of the Lead to Soar podcast. Oh my God, season four, 50 something episodes. That's cool. This is cool. I'm very proud of all of the work we've put into this. And yeah, we've got a great season lined up for our listeners. Yes. We're going to start today with a topic that we have not covered before. We're going to talk about employee resource groups. So employee resource groups, they are sometimes called business network groups or affinity groups. Uh, They're typically organized around a shared identity, like race, gender, age, mental health, etc. And the groups are meant to serve to create a sense of belonging, creating space for underrepresented employees to find one another, and to give members a break from aggressions, micro or otherwise, that they experience in the workplace. So I think conceptually, we can get on board with this sounds great, I know some people have found ERGs to be really beneficial, but there's also some criticisms out there. So we're going to really dive in that today. Uh, Michelle, let's start with some good stuff. How can ERGs be good for employees and their organization? So I want to pick up on the piece you said around giving members a break. And there is a lot of research out there around people who are in minorities or underrepresented groups in organisations who have to mask or have to present or assimilate in the workplace to, to fit in. So in other words, they've got to do a whole bunch of stuff and expend a whole bunch of energy being like the dominant group. And that's quite exhausting. So that's part one. And part two is the microaggression. So the things that women particularly women of colour, LGBTIQ people, disabled people, that the, the stuff that, that we experience that is, they call it death of a thousand cuts, these, these tiny little things over and over and over and over again, that in and of themselves, like standalone is just, a, oh, did I kind of feel left out or not included? Yeah, no, whatever. Those microaggressions like, oh, for, for black women. Oh my God, look at your hair. Isn't it amazing? And oh, it was different yesterday. And just the exhaustion of having to explain your hair over and over again. And our, our great friend and, and co-host Amal talks about black women and the pressure they have on them about their hair. Anyway, these groups can provide a space where when we enter them, we are with people who are like us and we can show up as our real selves there. We don't have to mask, we don't have to assimilate and we can kind of just hang without in psychological safety and we know that we won't experience those microaggressions and we won't have to expend the energy trying to be like the dominant group in the workplace. So if you've ever gone to a party or a function where it's all your friends and you know everyone and you immediately walk in and you can talk to any single person in the crowd because you know them all. It might be your family, it might be your friendship group. Imagine how comfortable and and real you feel. Then transpose yourself to 
walking into a party or an event where you know no one, no one knows you, and it's really different and you feel like you don't quite belong there. And all of the effort that you have to make to try and belong. That's a snippet of how people might feel when those, you know, in the workplace. So I don't belong, I do belong. So belonging and being part of a group that I belong to, that I don't have to justify why I belong to, is one of the reasons we have employee resource groups or those affinity groups. You just don't have to mask up. Okay. I feel like I have to ask this here and hopefully this doesn't deviate us too much from the conversation, but in what you're describing, it makes me think, okay, what do we mean when we say an organization is inclusive. So regardless of a particular ERG, what does it mean to have an inclusive company? That is a great question. And I'm doing some work with an organization right now about exactly that. An organization has to define what that means, but typically it means I feel respected. I feel like I'm valued and my ideas and my thoughts and my work is valued. It's such an esoteric, intangible kind of thing. Well, it's actually about, you know, you've actually got to ask your people what that feels like and then define it and work towards it. So the respect piece is paramount. There is no doubt that respectful workplaces are, you know, that is a a contributor to inclusive workplaces. But if it's an inclusive workplace, I don't have to justify why I'm sitting at the table, at the desk, in the meeting. I've, I know that I belong here. I know that I I am valued and respected. My ideas, my work, my thoughts are valued and respected. I don't have to fight to be heard. I am heard. Okay. I want to rope this back around to something and then get your take on this. Okay. So hang with me here for a moment. Yeah, yeah, cool. Something that I've come across in reading about employee resource groups is this idea that it's about being able to bring your authentic self to work. That's a phrase that I see a lot, this authentic self to work. And listeners, I have to be honest with you. I really struggle with that phrase. I don't like it. I'll try to explain why. So I tend to agree with Seth Godin on this, and he's got this quote where he said, only a tantrum is authentic, everything else we do with intention. And I believe that part of what he's getting at with that is sometimes I feel like shit. And my authentic self has, in that moment, a bad attitude. I I feel bad. I don't want to do what's in front of me. And yet, as a professional, my job and my commitment is to show up in a dedicated way to deliver something for my team members, for my clients, whatever it might be. In that moment, I show up as a professional, not as my, quote, authentic self. So that's kind of the nexus of where I struggle with the language. But Michelle, what you just said really helped tie together here what I think we're actually talking about. And that is that what it means to be in an inclusive environment, what we're really saying is is not about that type of authenticity of self. What we're really talking about is that when I go to work, my identity isn't treated as an other. My identity is not treated 
as, you know, some kind of anomalous, exotic thing because I'm valued and respected. I think that that's what we're really getting with this, this inclusive piece that people who are from an underrepresented minority group or at the intersection of multiple underrepresented identities, I think that's what they, we deserve in the workplace. Yeah, I know that there's also the piece, you know, valued, respected, heard, but that connectedness, I feel like I'm connected to other people and that I'm part of the crowd. I'm, I belong in that, that environment. And when we talk, yeah, I, I too have a problem with authentic self because my authentic self can be very sweary and very abrupt and very forthright. And it can also be very kind and compassionate and joyful and funny and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is as a leader and as a leader in all of the contexts that I've had as a leader, there's just sometimes when I have to go, right, it's showtime, right? And I need to show up here, not as my authentic, grumpy, funny, whatever self, I have to show up here as as someone who is going, who is trusted by people to drive towards the outcomes that we deem as important. And, you know, I, I can, I, I'm imagining, I've just taken myself back to a particular work environment. And I think we've talked about it before where I used to drive into the basement to park my vehicle. And I had, I was running a very, very large call center, which had three stories. And I knew that the minute I got out of my car, in fact, really by the, the moment I drove down into that basement in my car, it was showtime. I would get out of my car and irrespective of what had been happening up until that point, I'd walk into the elevator, the elevator doors would close and I, I knew that I had to have game face on. And when those elevator doors opened, because there were 500 people who were going to be looking at me. And if I walked out as my authentic self and I'd had a really crappy morning, I wasn't going to inspire them to greatness. I wasn't going to inspire them to do what we needed to get done. They needed to see me as someone who was going to guide them and lead them and they could depend on and that's the stuff. So, but you know, that that is also, that takes energy, right? And then you layer on top of that, what if I'm, well, I was, I am a gay woman, so I've got that part of my identity, which had frankly been dialed down a fair bit. If I was a woman of color, a, a black woman, I would be thinking, okay, how do I, what do I do here? Do I... Is that part of my identity, part of this showing up as a leader, or is it part of the part of me that I have to dial down to assimilate into what we consider leadership here? So the, the, the whole point around these affinity groups, one, one role that the affinity groups play is that I can drop the mask and celebrate and, and, and lead with the core part of my identity that perhaps I have to dial down in, in other parts of, of my work life. We're going to get into some of the things that I've read, some of the things that come up in sort of research around ERGs, but I just want to ask you straight up your opinion. What is your opinion, high level ERGs? Are they a good or bad thing? It depends. So I'm going to give the strategist answer every time. It depends whether they've been really thought about very well. And, you know, it depends on what is the purpose? What do we want to get out of this? If we want to create a safe space for a bunch of employees who are not part of the dominant group to feel connected and to be able to feel psychologically safe, you know what? That'll be successful for them. However, a word of caution. I have seen employee resource groups that where that is the only purpose, 
it creates a whole bunch of other considerations for the organisation. And I would like to think that employee resource groups, for me, an empl- a successful employee resource group is one where the members feel sense of belonging, connectedness and safe, psychological safety, that they are able to champion the cause with the broader community in the workplace, particularly the executive and the leadership to say, here's how we may, you know, because in a perfect world, we wouldn't need them because everyone would feel connected and respected and like they belong. So I would like them to to be not putting the burden of inclusion on the excluded, but how can we advocate or create advocacy for our cause, for our for our, our members and people who identify as our members. And then the third one is, and how do we recruit allies and advocates? How do we really give allies and advocates an opportunity to learn and become very, very powerful allies and advocates that, that create change at a system level in the organisation and beyond? So the danger without a really strong vision and purpose and let's hang together model is it can be viewed as a bit of a self-help group and is not going to enact change and going to create exclusion rather than inclusion. Okay, let's go through some of these critiques that I came across reading about ERGs. And when I say critiques, I think what these items are really pointing out are this the grouping of what Michelle just described, which is an ERG can be managed effectively or not. And so these these things that come up, I think, are, are ways that an ERG might not be set up or managed effectively, right? So starting off here, the, in, the intention to start an ERG might be good, but if the group's not supported or given enough power to make a real difference, then it can't be successful. So that could look like lack of budget or investment, lack of senior support. So that's a scenario. Another that I've seen is an HR sort of over-involvement where they're taking a role of sort of policing what is shared in the group or there's not real information shared because of HR's involvement. Uh, so let's let's talk about those, right? Because these are areas where I think this is important for our listeners because if it's a leader listening, they need to understand what it's going to take for an ERG group and their company to be successful. And if it's an earlier career person, they need to understand if they want to initiate or engage in an ERG, what it needs to look like to achieve the outcome that they may be going for. Yep. So let's talk about, I often see and have experienced the grassroots or the ground up kind of, okay, I found at work, I found my group of people, I found my people. And there's a few of us, we want to kind of get together and support each other. Then that evolves into something bigger and it becomes quite big, but doesn't go anywhere because what we haven't done is really set a goal or engaged, frankly, the powerful people in the organization. So there's that scenario first. And if you're a person who wants to organize and and wants to get 
an ERG up and running. My very first piece of advice and is why, you always start with why, right? Why are we doing this? What are What is our purpose or multiple purposes of, of this group? And, you know, the best question I ask when people say to me, will you help us set up an affinity group? I go, okay, I can. But when we sit down in one year's time and we measure the success of this affinity group, what are we going to be celebrating? Well, we will all feel much better about each other, right? How are you going to measure that? So start off with, you know, what does success look like for this group? And, you know, for particularly for new groups, there will be there will be phases. Phase one will be that we establish a membership because we all know that, you know, with volume comes voice and with voice comes change. So when you've got the volume and you've particularly sorted out, you know, who are the active organisers and the ones who want to do stuff and blah, 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 then you can say, well, okay, what do we want our role to be in this organisation? Do we want to just be a support role for the employees that identify with our, our particular identity? Or do we want to invoke change in the organisation? And so for, for the grassroots organisers, please think about what success is going to look like in one year's time. Don't, don't worry about two years and five years, but in one year's time, what will success look like? And then plan, organise and do based on those success criteria. For leaders who see one of their employees starting to organise, have a conversation and and particularly if you are, you don't identify with that group, support the people who are doing it by saying, how can I be an ally? How can I be an advocate? What would be useful for you right now for me to smooth the way for this being successful? And give guidance, give guidance around setting strategy or goals and strategy and goals and things like that. So be an enabler, not a barrier, because these groups are important, but sometimes need leaderly guidance, but not, not, not leaders who overstep the mark. And then for HR or anyone in the, you know, in the, the people function, get involved, but not too involved. I've seen in my work history, a really good group of people from, from the people function saying, okay, what we might do here is perform rather than a, it's not an oversight role because that would be wrong, but what we will perform is a coordination role and a facilitation role. So what they did was say, how about we get all of the leaders of the different groups together to have regular meetings to work out who's doing what and how we might leverage resources and what have you. But also that group advocated to very, very senior leaders about how they might be much better allies and advocates to these group sponsors. So I've kind of gone off on a bit of a tangent there, Mel, but there's there's different roles depending on who you are in the context of an employee resource group. There are different roles to play, but the first thing is why do we exist what and what is going to make us successful? That's got to be your first thing. Otherwise, you may end up looking like, sounding like and feeling like a fairly exclusive self-help group. And and I know that that's really brutal, but if you want to advocate for the rights of, of your people, your identity in the organisation, you've actually got to be much more strategic about it. I completely agree with coming back to the fundamental question of why do we exist? Why are we doing this? So I want to go into a little bit rockier area here. What do leaders need to be cautious of when it comes to the false sort of sense that can happen of ERGs just like magically solving equity and inclusion problems? So on the leaders to-do list for diversity, equity and inclusion, 
or on the do not list because I have a to-do list and I have a do not list. On the do not list, item number, I think it's four, is do not assume your employee resource group will sort out your diversity, equity and inclusion issues. They will not and should not be tasked with it. What they should be is a group of people with an identity that would that, that are a very strong source of information, qualitative and quantitative facts and data around the lived experience of those people and customers in your organisation. So they are not, they should not be tasked with doing all of the heavy lifting, anything from policy right through to behaviours in the organisation. That is wrong, wrong, wrong. As leaders, you must be doing that. However, a very strong source of information. I worked with an employee resource group in one of Australia's major energy suppliers. And this employee resource group was so well run, was so powerful that, uh, and it was around women, it was it was the women's network, that everyone from the CEO right through to the, the, the people function, there would not be one policy that related to women developed or distributed or enacted, implemented in that organisation without consultation with that group. So the group became extraordinarily useful and powerful to the organisation to be much better but they weren't expected to roll out all of that stuff. They were consultative group. So just like we have we have customer focus groups when we want to launch new products or services, these are great sources of information for leaders, but they must not be tasked with doing all the work. They often are though, Mel. And oh good, we've got a we've got a pride group. That's excellent. We've got all of the gay people and the stuff sorted out for gay people. No, you haven't. So I'll add another layer to that that I'm gonna read a direct quote from an HBR article and ask for your take on this. So this was an article about ERGs and the author wrote, it's time that organizations compensate these leaders for their work. In the past, ERGs were primarily a support network for people with shared identities, but now organizations rely on them for recruitment, retention, marketing, strategic guidance, and other business functions. I'm Mel Butcher, and I want to talk to you about the Ascend Workshop. Ascend is a workshop I created for early career professionals who are ready to take the next steps in their career. The next step could be aiming for a promotion and salary raise, or it could be looking for the next step up in another organization. Together, we'll cover using emotional intelligence in the workplace, getting our communication on point, understanding mentorship and sponsorship and how to get it, and positioning ourselves for the next step. I'd love to see you inside the Ascend Workshop. Learn more under the Courses section inside A Career That Soars. Yeah, so yes, I agree if that is the purpose of the group. If it has gone beyond an affinity group of people to support each other and it is now a strategic part of the organization's plan to address diversity, equity and inclusion in that workplace. Absolutely. It should be part of people's roles. Remuneration is, it, I think there are all sorts of different ways of doing reward. So again, I'll, I'll be anecdotal. So in 
my last couple of roles uh, in, in corporate Australia and I was very involved. So I was chair of the Disability Council in the organisation. I sat on another diversity council and then I'd moved roles and my boss said to me, we've got a lot of work to do. I want this to be 20% of your job. I want you to represent us and advocate us on the diversity council and the disability council. This, this actually was part of my job. It was part of my leadership job. So I had time carved out. And it wasn't on top of my day job. So, you know, yes, I mean, I was an executive, so I had a pretty busy day job anyway, but it was recognized by my boss that this was part of my day job and therefore was part of how I planned my weeks, my months, etc. But it was also assessed in terms of my effectiveness when it came to my performance evaluation and the way I contributed to the organization. It was it was part of it. Did I get money for, for my involvement? No, but it was part of my job. So if we're going to be really serious about that, I don't know that there's stipend or, and I know that there's the, in that particular article, there's, there's discussions about some organisations that provide, I'm trying to think, I think it was, I don't know if it was Salesforce or one of them was saying, you know, there's a 10 or a $12,000 bonus for those who are on a, you know, one of these, these ERGs, whatever it may be, create the space and create the time for people to be part of your strategic employee affinity groups. Now, whether you want to pay them or not, um, you know, that that's, that's kind of really, that's a very individual call, but the recognition, this is part of my job. That's a really big thing. I think inclusive organisations say this is a really important part of our strategy. So what I'm going to do is say that, you know, when Joe needs to go to XYZ meeting about the reconciliation action plan, that's part of Joe's job. So Joe, that's cool. And and away we go. So there's this absolute underlying belief and support that this is part of the work that we do, the important work we do. I know that's kind of a rambly response, Mel, because I think, as I said, reward and benefit is a really complex area and it just varies so wildly from geography to geography. But I think that recognition, this is part of my job, is a, a really key piece in differentiating a support group that's on versus a strategic group of people that are going to help us achieve our strategic and financial goals. Right. Again, I think it goes back to the goal of the group, why it is going to exist and what the leadership is buying into on that front. So for instance, as you were talking just now, I'm thinking about, you know, the space I work in of engineering. I have a really difficult time imagining a company in the engineering space that's really going to want to support technical staff to do work that they will see as not their core purpose for being there. That's the mindset shift that's required, right, around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'll, I'll tell a story from one of my current clients. So as part of, we are now, we're about to enter year three of implementation of a diversity, equity, and inclusion plan um, strategy. And this year, in year two, we implemented a diversity council and site diversity and inclusion leaders and teams as part of the overarching strategy to create an inclusive organization. And each one of those, so it's championed by, sponsored by the CEO, um, supported by the, the people function or the OD function and, and by me. But every single person who is a site leader or has 
diversity and inclusion in their role, that is actually part of their role now. It is expected that they will be contributing, that they will be given the time, they will be given the, the resources, um, et cetera, to contribute to their local DNI team. So th- this is a, an organisation with sites all around Australia. And they're not expected to do the stuff, but they are expected to be that that a source of information and, and part of an omni-channel of communication. So we get feedback, we can give feedback, you know, but the reality is they are part of an organisational strategy. It's it's not just a let's create these teams and help they can kind of set them off on their way and away they go. This is part of a listed company strategy to make it the most inclusive place to work possible. So it's it's champion from the CEO, from the board, right through to the the, the shop floor. And it's not an add-on. It's it's part of the strategy. So, you know, I guess this is the the employee resource group, they will proliferate in big organizations anyway. People are going to start getting together. And when you get people who want to organize and who want to make change, they want to, you know, let's face it, there's there's a whole bunch of people who want to be the change they want to see in the world. They will start moving and organizing and advocating on behalf of themselves and and the people like them. So why not support them? And why not Put the budget behind them. Why not give the powerful advocacy, open the doors, smooth the way, because ultimately it's going to help the organisation achieve its strategic and financial goals. And we don't we don't need to go through the diversity business case here, but yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to go not too far out on a limb and say that uh, the people who are listening to this podcast are not going to be DE&I skeptics, but I do think that we have listeners who are maybe younger, maybe earlier career listeners who are in workplaces where they might feel a little bit isolated and they might want to join or initiate some kind of ERG. What would be your advice or thoughts for that person? Okay. So the short advice is do it. The longer advice is do it smart. So if you have existing groups in your organization, join. And there's your identity group. So if there's a group that you identify with and think, okay, I want to be with with my folks, join. Join anyway, because there are all sorts of ways to be involved into whatever level you want to be in, in these groups. Some of them are come along and experience what it's like to hang with all of us. There'll be educational things. Yeah, The, 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 the diversity of what they do will be great um, and it will be good for you. The second part is, get involved, done right. These can be very, very pivotal career and leadership development experiences. Organizations are, we we want to progress in organizations. We want to, and, and, you know, and I'm talking to a specific person here, you know, the person who's ambitious and wants to progress and uh, wants to be a leader or a better leader or, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So leadership doesn't necessarily mean a position on the org chart. You can assume leadership roles in these kind of groups and developing and demonstrating your business strategic and financial acumen can also be done through employee resource groups. If you bring yourself to these groups and get involved, you can start practicing your leadership skills. You can start. There are a world of possibilities, Mel. And when you're known, you become known as a person who gets involved, who steps up, who, you know, can can create change for others. It enhances your leadership brand. It enhances, you know, the the way people consider you. So, you know, that that's the long version. But but get involved and then start thinking 
thinking, how might this fuel both my sense of well-being and, and connectedness in the workplace as well as fuel my skill development, my disciplines leadership skill development, because there are a myriad of opportunities. And, you know, typically some of them might look like this, organising. So organising a function or an event or a series of informational things. You know, there's a lot of lot of stuff that goes on there. Communication skills. It might be speaking. You'll have opportunities to speak, whether it's to the group or to potential allies or to other stakeholders. So there are myriad of opportunities to not only feel that sense of connectedness with with the people who I identify with, but also to practice my leadership skills. So I think there's huge benefit in getting involved. I think that was great advice. Thank you. And I want to bring it back around to HR for a couple of reasons. So I, I just want to throw the question out there. What should HR's role be in ERG's and layered with that, I, th- I think that HR, when they are supportive of ERGs, they can run into their own challenges as well, whether that is not seeing the support that they need to see from senior leadership or this issue of sort of white male activists that we see every now and then coming in and raising their objections to things like this, the so-called white male exclusion. So Could you talk to us about those things and HR? Yep, that's a couple of big gnarly ones. So the role of HR is as an enabler and, well, you know, bulldozer and barrier. HR have a leadership role to play when it comes to ERGs. They need to bulldoze through the barriers that ERG may experience in being successful. Now, don't forget, I'm going right back to, so what's going to make them successful? They need to work that out. So HR needs to help to remove barriers to success, which means they may need to give guidance around what success looks like. They also, frankly, need to, if part of the people plan, the people strategy is an employee resource group, it needs to be budgeted for, whether that's people, capital, financial capital, or other stuff. So they need to do a budget. They need to say, this is not going to happen magically on a wing and a prayer and the and the good nature of a whole bunch of people that we're going to give stuff to do on top of their day job. They need to start budgeting. And that may mean a couple of things. Actual budgets. So let's, let's forecast the financial needs of these employee resource groups, which are a part of our strategy. Uh, it may mean we budget for, advocate for leaders to allocate time, yeah, like my leader did, Michelle, this is, I mean, that was a very generous thing, 20% of your time, but okay. So we now need to say in our, the way we do job design is that 10% of a leader's human capital budget needs to be assigned to DEI or an employee resource group. So they need to advocate for that. And then they also need to be like leaders do a barrier to bullshit. So they need to protect the ERG from some of the crap. And the crap that you've talked about there, Mel, is the, oh, there's the women's group, no men welcome. You know, this is, you know, what about men? You know, what about is, what about prevails when affinity groups start or DEI initiatives come up? Oh God, you know, you have to be in a skirt to get anywhere now. You know, it's all about the women or it's all about, you know, the black people. What about all lives matter? Well, they actually have to be a barrier to that crap. 
And as part of the the people strategy, we know that when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion, there are three types of people typically in the organisation. There are the screaming evangelists like me who are there. They They will be the HR people, I hope. They employ resource groups, a bunch of leaders. So these are the people who are actively working to create an equitable and inclusive organisation. Then down the other end are the dinosaurs and these are the what about us and we're getting left out and this is ridiculous, all this woke crap and politically correct crap, blah, blah, blah. So we have to deal with them. And frankly, you're never going to change their minds. They are not going to evolve. So you need to work out, and this is HR's role, they have to work out how to quarantine those people and inoculate the rest of the organisation from them. And I'm yes, I'm using pandemic terms because it's very, very relevant. Those people will not change. We do not put our energy there other than protecting those who want to do the right thing from them. And then there's the middle. There's the group of people who are not yet one way or the other. They are. They want to do the right thing. They just kind of want to get on with things. What we call the movable middle. They are yet to be convinced one way or the other. There's our target market. So HR's role is to help communicate and advocate in that community by policy, system, practices, behaviours, measuring the right behaviours to help that movable middle move towards that more inclusive equitable environment. So that's the role of HR. The role of HR is not to always be at every affinity group meeting unless they are a person who identifies with that affinity group. It is completely inappropriate unless they are invited to to be there. There are separate governance methods and mechanisms for HR to, to create an oversight kind of model. So it is not their role to be there. It is not their role to police what is said and done. It is their role to guide about what might land well in the organisation. I have this term, don't spook the horses, when I talk to to clients and or I often ask, let's do some great stuff, Michelle. I go, okay, so what do you want, revolution or evolution? Because this when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, you can have a revolution, right? And we can really, really tip up the apple cart and spook the horses. But we will have spooked horses. We will have people who go, oh my God, this is, yeah, this is the change stuff. Holy crap, look what's coming. Or you can have evolution, which is let's have a gradual drip, drip, drip of, of change over time. It's it's the role of HR to work out which strategy the organisation has, which what the appetite is of the organisation for change and provide guidance to the ERG around that. They need, there will be politics, right? So there'll be politics in the organisation, which sometimes when we're part of an enthusiastic employee resource group, we may not be as connected to those politics or the prevailing views of those in power as we could be. HR can provide that connection point and can provide that guidance. So a practical example might be Right, we want to go to the board and propose that XYZ policy is implemented within the next three months to help our group of people. And HR might go, we could do that. However, here's what else is going on for the board and the executive at the moment. Here's what else is on the strategy. Here's, you know, timing is everything. So they can be a guide around when it's the right time to do things and when it's not. But they need to not you know, it's what is the what did Bev B and say in when we did our board thing, Mel? She said nose in, fingers out. So put the nose in, you know, check in from time to time, but don't, you know, fingers out. Unless you identify with that group, try and be an enabler 
an enabler and a facilitator. That's a great reference there. I love and She's been a great, just a great professional and, and expert to hear from inside a career that soars. I'm so glad you had her in. Okay. So I think what I want to wrap us up on is really just the positives. Like what are the the great things that an ERG can do when they've been set up properly? So we've got a solid mission, let's say, a solid understanding of why the group exists. And we have the support we need from senior leadership and we have HR playing their role as a support and protector and enabler. What can an ERG do for people and an organization? Well, let me give a very real example. So one of our guests on Career Q&A, Narita Summers, she is the founder or set up the Culturally Diverse People's Network in, in one of our other energy providers here in Australia. And she is the epitome of what we've been talking about today, SOAR. People. She's a woman of colour, a culturally and linguistically diverse woman. She saw others like her scattered through the organisation but not represented at mid to senior levels, wanted to create change and said, well, okay, I'm going to start organising. The things that Narita did right, number one, she got help. So she came to myself and my other business partner, Div Pillay, and said, how do I do this? So she got expert guidance and Div spent a lot of time with her doing that. Which And part of that expert guidance is get into the office of someone, the highest ranking person that you can find to tell them what your goal is. So which she did, got the advocates on board, got HR on board, got her community on board and grew her community exponentially. The success story is that that community is now consulted for a whole bunch of different things by the organization around the employee experience, around learning and development experiences that that need to be much more nuanced and tailored for culturally and linguistically diverse people, particularly women, and for our customers. How might we better support our customers? And particularly, there were a whole bunch of things around communication to communities that are isolated, uh, migrant communities, uh, English as a second language, things like that, that the organization was able to consult with this group on to say, how could we do this better? So for me, and it's going from strength to strength. So that is how powerful those organized, uh, those ERGs can be when they are done right from the start. And the truth is there's, there's a whole bunch of people that are, have made that happen. And I think what I see has done been done really well is that Narita has she is recognized in that organization as the organizer. She is given time and space to as part of her role to do that work. And they are measuring outcomes. They are measuring the outcomes that culturally and linguistically diverse employee resource group is creating for the organization. So for me that's a success story. That's a template. That's excellent. Dear listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode on employee resource groups on the Lead to Soar podcast. And I think what I want to end us with here is just if you're looking for support, like Michelle just described, join us inside a career that soars. You can access both of us in there as well as a wealth of knowledge from our other hosts and the members inside to get the support you need to do something like this really effectively. Michelle, any last thoughts you want to share? Well, even if you came in and said, I want to start an employee resource group, we have members including myself who have done that. And there is so much collective wisdom to tap into. So 
you know, do what Narita did. Who do I, who's my, who's my board of directors, my advisory board that I can go to, to help me set this up right. Or if you just want to get involved. So yeah, come on in. And you can find us inside a career that soars.com. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much, Michelle. This has been a, a great episode. Thanks, Mel. Enjoyed it. I'm Mel Butcher, and I want to talk to you about Project Best Self. Project Best Self is a goal-setting and habit formation intensive. Together, we'll get clarity on our goals, set up the systems we need to be successful in those goals, and provide support to one another in our cohort in this intensive. I'd love to see you inside Project Best Self. Come join us. Learn more under the courses section inside A Career That Soars. This has been another episode of Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. You can reach Michelle Redfern at michelleredfern.com and Mel Butcher at melbutcher.com. Join us inside A Career That Soars at acareerthatsoars.com. 